0: been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realise So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave her off in it, but I'm no of ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm listening Good afternoon my name's Robert if you don't know I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel South London and we are making our way through the book of Acts I think we've been in the book of Acts for probably about it must be a good eight or nine months now probably got a similar amount of time before we conclude the book we're in um, Acts chapter 12 if you'd like to turn there and we're really looking in a general sense at the history of the early church And today our topic is God's Word has, does, and will continue to triumph. God's Word has, does, and will continue to triumph, past, present, and future. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, verse 1, right through to the end. We're going to aim to complete the chapter today, so I need to start reading in verse 1. About that time... Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. Because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Last week, we saw more of the ministry of Joses, or Barnabas, or the son of encouragement. Who was sent by the apostles, if you remember, to this new center of development. And they're in Antioch. Where the believers were first called Christians. Again, we see the continued theme of this book the advance of the gospel. From Jerusalem, which was south, up through Phoenicia, to Cyprus, and then ultimately to Antioch, after the disciples had taken the message, if you remember. Peter had gone in one direction and these other disciples had gone further north with the gospel. And they begun to share it with Jews, but now also with Gentiles. And we have here in the third largest Roman city, a multicultural metropolitan tabernacle. A mega church in verse 26 of chapter 11. That will become a fountainhead of a substantial church planting project. A project that incidentally is still underway today. And is still in the process of being completed even as we speak. And the cause of its success then as well as now is verse 21 of chapter 11. The hand of the Lord was with them. The Lord God working by the overwhelming power of his spirit. To the point where not only do we see conversions, but we also see the development of Christian character, which is so important. One is vital in conjunction with the other. This new church sees a, a need in the lives of Those struck by famine, if you remember from last week, and they send practical relief by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, as we saw in the last verse of chapter 11. So, as for this week, a summary of all that we will discuss today can be found in verse 24 of chapter 12. Verse 24 sums up the primary project And purpose of God. But the word of God. Increased. And multiplied. Whatever happens. Or doesn't happen. Whoever is involved. Or not involved. Whether it seems reasonable. Or unreasonable. God has an agenda. And God's agenda. Is unswerving. Very often we. We. We look at life, particularly as Christians, definitely as unbelievers, but particularly as Christians, we look at life and sometimes we're like, man, how come things are going like this? What is, what's really happening here? We tend to find ourselves sometimes saying, and as we're going to come to see, the reason we do that is because We begin to be more considered and enamored with our purpose than we are with God's purpose and with God's agenda. See, this is the ultimate thrust and focus of our passage today the Word of God increasing or enlarging or growing and multiplying. That means abounding or increasing. In its influence, we're going to see this pattern continue throughout the book. Now, looking at the general outline of the passage that we've just read, it starts off with check it the Apostle James dead, the Apostle Peter in prison. And Herod the king, triumphant. Hmm. Yet, this chapter is going to end with Herod dead. The apostle Peter released. And the word of God, triumphant. We as a church need to hear that particularly as we go through another season of trial. We're like, Lord, we're only a baby church. We're like, Lord, it seems like we roll out of one season of trial right into another season of trial. You know what they say, right? Like, as a Christian, life is a three-part circle. You're either going into trouble, or you're in the midst of trouble, or you're just coming out of trouble. Lord but be encouraged that God is working really we ought to be concerned not when we're going through difficult times like we are I mean is there anyone that ain't facing drama right now and I'm saying you know what Don't be discouraged by this. We really ought to be discouraged when we ain't going through drama. See, but we got it back to front, right? We're like, oh man, everything in my life just mash up. What's going on? It's all right. That's a good sign. That's not a bad sign. It's a good sign. It's bad when nothing ain't going and everything's all right. How many of you know we have an enemy of our souls? And the fact that he's responding in multiple different ways should be encouraging for us. And note that the way things are ain't the way that things are always going to be. You know what I mean? We're going to see this truth weaved through the book of Acts. And honestly, this is a A red thread that runs right through the whole Bible, if you look at it from an honest perspective. And what we must remember is that even in the midst of the drama, God is fulfilling his agenda. God is fulfilling his agenda. If we just have a look at the the, the thread that runs through the book of Acts, in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, check it. Now, this is way back here, chapter 6. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Now this is in the midst of them being thrown into prison, persecuted, jailed. But look, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, do you know how groundbreaking that is? We've already done it, so I don't have to do it. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9, a couple chapters later, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and not just Jerusalem now, you know. Throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. See, this is God's agenda. In the face of all the difficult and harrowing circumstances, and a little bit later we're gonna to come to this in Acts chapter 19, verse 20 it says, So the word of the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. That helps us to get our focus right. It helps us to take our eyes and our minds off of our own personal circumstances. And look at, as we saw a few weeks ago, the bigger picture. Therefore, the key point today will be that in and through all circumstances, however bleak, God triumphs. And if God triumphs and you're directly linked to him, hey, The only thing about us as believers is that we have delayed gratification. We're going to have gratification on levels that are inexplicable. But the only thing is delayed. But it's coming. This chapter ought to bring us great encouragement, great encouragement, and also focus. So, verse 1, chapter 12. About that time, that is, about the same time that Barnabas and Saul brought the gift from Antioch to its sister church in Jerusalem. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. King Herod the Jewish marionette or the puppet king. Ruling over Israel, having been put in place by Rome, particularly and specifically by Caligula and also Claudius. This man, Herod, is an evil man who comes from a long line of evil men looking at his family tree his uncle, Herod Antipas, presided over the trial of Jesus. Wicked man. His grandfather, Herod the Great, slaughtered the innocent, if you remember, at the birth of Jesus. These are all, these are all men from the same family. He was, he, this man, Herod, he was notoriously insecure and he despised minorities. And so it's no great surprise that he sought to impress the Jews by further persecuting this minority called the church. And so he kills one of the chief apostles. He kills James. Like this is James, John's brother. John the beloved. Do you remember Boanerges? The sons of thunder, Jesus called them. This is them. This is, this, is, this is John, the little brother, and James, his older brother. One of Jesus' disciples, James, who's mentioned second or third in all of the lists of the 12 disciples throughout the Gospels and Acts. James was one of the inner circle who was exceptionally close to the Lord Jesus. Do you remember there was three that were a part of Jesus' inner circle? Peter, James, and John. Probably John, Peter, James in that order. And they were invited particularly. They were a part of the twelve. Remember, the twelve are special. Because there were 70 and there were a larger group of disciples. But out of the 70, Jesus has the twelve. But then out of the twelve, Jesus has the three. Who were explicitly closer to him than the others. And he says to those three, do you remember when he was going up to the Mount of Transfiguration? He went, Peter, James, John. fellas, the rest of you lot stay here. I want you guys to come with me. And they went up on the Mount in the Transfiguration. And they saw Jesus transfigured. Standing with Moses and Elijah. They were privy to, James was a part of that collective. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he said to his disciples, watch and pray with me. And then he went off a little further, but before he left, he said to Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. And they came a little further with him, and then he left them, and then he went to be with the Father on his own, on his face, in the Garden of Gethsemane. James is a part of this collective. It was, do you remember, it was was John and his brother James who came with their mum to Jesus and said, can we sit on your right and on your left? And Jesus was like, whoa. That's big things you're asking for. And he said, are you sure you can handle this? I mean, sitting on my right and my left is... He said, look, sitting on my right and my left is not really for me to give. That's for the Father to give. But if that's on your mind and on your heart, are you really able to handle what comes with that kind of responsibility? Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? Are you you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? That means... I'm going through a difficult time in a few minutes. Are you going to be able to handle that? It was James and John that Jesus was speaking to. And now, we see James confronted with that that moment. We see him confronted with that hour of trial. This apostle of the highest order, Herod had him violently beheaded with the sword. And what I want you to notice is that all it gets is one verse worth of mention. This illustrious apostle slash disciple of Jesus who walked with him personally, one verse. One verse mentioned. What a tragedy That is his death. What a loss. Do you think that James deserved a little bit more, maybe? How would you feel if you were overlooked, as it were? I mean, you get a mention, but. And then, if that wasn't enough, how about the fact that he wasn't even rescued? No divine intervention, as far as we can tell. No amazing, supernatural, angelic demonstration. And this reminds me of John the Baptist. When he was executed by Herod's uncle, Antipas. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 to 6, it says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. See, the the gospel. You see, the word of God, moving, spreading. Remember, that's God's agenda. It God is doing His thing, right? But look, verse two. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he was like, "Yo, what's going, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, I'm the herald. I mean, I'm the waymaker. I'm the playmaker." I'd be like, what on earth am I doing in this dungeon? I need, to, I need to really find out if Jesus is really the man. Because if he's the man, I can't understand how I'm here in... Pre- no. And he's, he sent word to Jesus by his own disciples, John did, and said to him, that's the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, John wants to know... Whether you are really the one who is to come, or should we really be looking for someone else? Because you don't really kind of meet up to the expectations right about now. And Jesus answered him, Check it. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. You concerned that God is not working? You concerned that God is not moving? oh, oh, sorry, you're concerned that God is not working or moving in your life in the way that you would like right now. But God has an agenda and he's fulfilling his agenda. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And check verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one that's not offended on account of me. And that's the point, isn't it? When things don't necessarily go the way that we would like. Or the Lord doesn't seem to answer our sincere prayers the way we would desire. We are tempted to what? To be offended. It might be illness. How many people are struggling with illness right now? Man, I've got both hands up. It might be finances. It might be a difficult husband. It might be a difficult wife. It might be the lack of a husband. Or it might be the lack of a wife. It might be that promotion that you deserve. It might be blankety blank. You fill in the space provided. And the temptation is to be offended, check it, at God. Like Martha when she got offended because Mary wouldn't come and help her prepare the food. Who did she get offended with? Not Mary. She got offended with Jesus. Jesus. She got offended with God. Because he wouldn't do her will. Lord, not your will, my will be done. Can you see how we need to be careful? And that's not to underplay your difficulty. That's not to shortchange you in regard to your struggle. But you see how even in the midst of it, we just got to be careful. Because God is sovereign. And for all intents and purposes, if you're in Christ, you're properly taken care of. You, you have been taken care of nicely. We have been. Ultimately. All right, maybe right now, okay, hey. We're going through difficult circumstances. But ultimately, we're taken care of. There's nothing that can overcome us. Our greatest enemy, we smile at. Because death has lost its thing. Grave, where is your victory? So in the midst of whatever it is we're confronted with, we can just say, ouch. boy, Lord, it hurts right now, you know, but hey... As long as the word of God is being multiplied and people are added to the church, God's agenda is being fulfilled. So then in verse 3, Herod, after taking out James horrifically, he gets carried away with himself, verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, which is the Passover festival, where Jewish law didn't permit trials or sentencing during this feast. Hence, verse four: when he had seized him, he put him in prison because he can't can't try him and can't kill him right now because of the feast. And he delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. We're not. I'm not joking. I'm. I'm. I'm taking life. And I don't business. I mean, four squads of soldiers. Don't you think that's a bit over? But it's not even like Peter some SAS Navy SEAL. You get green beret. You get me. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And execute him. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So. Not only has James just been executed. We now have another very prominent apostle. And leader of the Jerusalem church. On death row. Guarded by four squads of four soldiers possibly on three to six-hour shifts, two of which he's chained in between. So one is on his right, one's on his left. On his right hand, he's shackled to the left hand of this soldier. On his left hand, he's shackled to the right hand of another soldier. And there's two outside the secure cell. The bread is on maximum security. Things are looking really grim. Grim. Yet at the end of verse 5, it says, the church begin to pray earnestly. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. I love the amplified version. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man, makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. See, you come against me with swords and with bombs and with guns. The Bible says that those are not my weapons of choice. Ephesians chapter 6 Gives me the opportunity to draw for the sword. But it's a different kind of sword. It's the word of God, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world. And our weapons are not carnal, they're not physical. Second Corinthians 4, right? Was it, 10? And it's in those... In these really difficult times that we have to remember or be reminded that this verse is true. But we must also remember that whatever we ask, desire or petition has to be wholly submitted to the will and the purpose of God, which may contradict our plans. Scripture says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. But it's those that are according to his will. And the scary thing is that sometimes we will firm it. And God will say, you know what? It's really not my desire that you have that, or you get that, or you be that. But since you're going to firm it, okay. So we just have to be careful that we always end our prayers, Lord. This is my desire. This is my will, but Lord, not my will, your will be done. And this puts us in a really safe, well-balanced place. As difficult as it is. How hard must it have been to pray for Peter, knowing what had happened to James? Yet they prayed anyway, and earnestly. Now look at the contrast with James. We're going to look at Peter, and look at how it contrasts with James. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. Okay? Surprising. Yet, not surprising. Because we've seen the involvement of angels before with Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, delivering them from similar circumstances in prison. And isn't it interesting to see Peter fast asleep? You You know, Peter's useless when it gets past his bedtime, right? I mean, Peter couldn't stay up and pray for Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane at his moment of difficulty. I mean, fair enough. But you would have thought that he would stay up and pray for himself. <laughs> Whatever the reason, this definitely communicates that Peter is much less worried about his fate than he needs to be. I mean, the brother's facing death. I mean, there is, it ain't even like, um, there's a, there's, I'm confronted with death, but there's, there's opportunity for me to maybe get out of here. There ain't no opportunity. It's, imp- it's a complete impossibility. It's not even like there's any hope. There's no hope. Maybe if it was, maybe if it was the, the temple guards, you know what I mean, the, 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 the Jewish soldiers. Maybe he was a fisherman, right? So he must have been hench to some degree, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean but yeah, this ain't. This is. He's under Roman like maximum security. There ain't no, and Peter ain't even phased. He's like, maybe he just looked at the situation and thought, you know what, cha, what am I going to work up myself? Distress myself? ch And the brother goes to sleep like a baby, seemingly. Evidently, as we're going to see. Peter's amazing, right? Now, like I said, this chapter is supposed to give us and grant us encouragement. See, but the thing is, see, Peter is a brother who, he he not recognize God's got an agenda. And he knows, you know what, he probably prayed before he went to sleep. In the presence of the soldiers. It's like, hey, you know what, fellas. A couple, like about a year or so ago, I was in a similar situation and you know what the Lord done? Who knows, he might do it again and I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray that you deliver me. But Lord, if you don't, hey, it's all good. Because your purpose... It's still going to continue. Whether I'm out there doing it or I'm in here not doing it, you're going to be doing your thing. And rather than he just goes to sleep, <laughs> he goes to sleep. And I think this is a good thing. One that we ought to be encouraged by, because as much as a lot of us are going through difficult times, none of us are facing death by lethal injection in the next 24 hours, right? Now, that's not to minimize your difficulty, because I know some of you guys are going through it. But if he in the light and face of what is on the horizon, literally at the dawn about to horizon, if he can have peace there's something in here for us. We also have the Extra information apart from this angel, now this bright light that probably, possibly emanated from the angel like it would normally. Look at verse 7b or the second part of verse 7. He, that is the angel, struck Peter on the side. I mean, oh Peter, must have been comatose. I mean, knowing that in a few hours you're going to die would make for light sleep. Plus, there's a bright light that would normally wake up the deepest sleeper. I'm a deep sleeper get me? Nothing don't really wake me up too tough. But when you switch on the light, I don't know why. I just come to my senses. Even when I'm in the deepest sleep, I don't like it when they switch on the light. I like to sleep in the dark. But Peter, even the big old bright illuminated light coming from the angel ain't enough to, to, to wake him up. The angel has to strike him. Not touch or gently shake, Peter was struck or smitten on the side. <laughs> and eventually it woke him, and the angel said, Get up quickly. In a deep sleep, that's kind of hard to do, right? Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands like, like nothing. Just slipped off his wrists. That, is it Darren Brown? Just slipped off his wrists. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Follow you, follow you, follow me. Even at this point, Peter is still half asleep. Look at verse 9. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it just opened up of its own accord, effortlessly. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. Iron handcuff type shackles between two soldiers. Cell door guarded, the city gates made of iron, a prison break under these circumstances would be virtually unfeasible, yet how easy, how easy was this, how effortless, with man it's impossible but with God all things are possible according to his will. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, whoa, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people and the things that they were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is one of those houses where believers would often congregate. A little bit like Mark and Tabs. Commentators suggest that... On, it's wonderful. You know, sometimes we say there's nothing new under the sun. But normally we use that in a negative context. You know what I'm saying? With the violence and with homosexuality. And, you know what I'm saying? We look at it and we think, Oh man, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? It all—it just like fashion. What goes around us comes right back around again. But we can also use the fact that there's nothing new under the sun in a positive sense. And so they had fellowship. And it's wonderful that we can look in our midst and see the same similar type fellowship happening with us as a church. You go Mark and Tabs, oh my God. It's like you can go to their house anytime, day or night. You get me? And there's someone there to have fellowship with, apart from them. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Commentators suggest that this could have been the upper room where the Lord Jesus had had his last supper before his crucifixion. Also, possibly the same place where the 120 disciples congregated on the day of Pentecost. Mark, jean Mark, is actually a cousin of Barnabas. And we're going to see more of Jean-Marc in the coming weeks. It was here, nonetheless, that many believers were gathered praying. Verse 13 and... When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. As Rhoda hyperventilated, poor Peter is standing outside the closed door. After effortlessly escaping from Alcatraz, Peter now finds himself helplessly locked out behind a bolted wooden door. And I mean, if any of those soldiers wake up, they're going to be looking for Peter with a search party, right? So how's Peter feel outside, standing outside this door now? I suspect that Peter's probably just a, a little bit nervous at this point. Maybe he's like... <laughs> Rhoda, 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 (laughs) Rhoda, please answer the door. Verse 15, they said to her inside the house, you're out of your mind. What do you mean Peter's outside? I mean, we're only praying for him to, to get released, but how on earth could Peter be outside, right? But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel without getting too deeply into this, it shows that even at that point, the church had superstitious perspectives. It can't be Peter. It must be his angel, whatever that means. But Peter... <laughs> keeps knocking. And in their culture, when someone's at the door and wants to come in, they're not like the English. They're not like us Brits, Right? They won't, you know, sometimes you don't want to distress nobody. So you kind of ring the doorbell once. And I don't know, you're busting. You want to go wee or something. But you need to get in the house, right? But sake of our... I don't know. Because of the way we're inclined, we ain't going to try and ring off the doorbell. Ring, 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 ring. Come on, open the door, bang it. We won't do that. We'll just stay there and firm it, right? Because the etiquette and the British stiff up her lip and all that, right? But Jewish culture ain't like that. Do you remember? Listen, when someone stands at the door and they need to get in, they'll bang on the door, and they'll, listen, they'll bang on the door, they're looking in the window, and they're calling you all at the same time. Do you remember Jesus said, he says, knock, and the door will be opened. Seek, and you'll find. Ask, and you'll receive. That is the perfect picture explaining exactly what he's saying. He's saying, if you want something from God, don't be nice and act like you want it, but you don't really, you're not sure if you really want it. If you really want it, then you come in that fashion, knocking, asking, looking, seeking, all at the same time. So this is what Peter's doing, evidently because the brother needs to get inside the house. He's pretty, he's, Peter's wide awake at this point. I'm probably a little bit stressed out now. When it opened, they saw him and were amazed. John Stott comments on this and says, it is ironical that the group who were praying fervently and persistently for Peter's deliverance should regard as mad the person who informed them that their prayers had been answered. (laughs) Isn't it astonishing how God answers prayer. Slightly mysteriously, yet astonishingly. These believers were not gigantic, mountain moving, intercessory prayer warriors, were they? Far from it. I mean, they're the furthest extreme from, they're the farthest thing removed from that. They didn't even believe that God would answer. Now, that should encourage your heart. It encourages my heart in them times when I know I need to pray. And I'll be like, Lord, I don't even know why I'm praying because I don't believe that you're going to answer me. You know them ones? You you lot don't know them ones. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Lord, that should encourage us. You see, it's... And it's when you understand that it's not just that God is depending on our, like, hanging over heaven with white knuckles. Oh, I wonder if they're gonna pray so that I can fulfill my will. Oh, no, that that, that is not a true picture of, of where the Lord God Almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, that's not Him. If that's your picture of him. But we, we need to be encouraged that if we will align ourselves with his purpose and his will. Oh my gosh. You know, the Bible says when God, when God shuts a door, no man can open it. And when the Lord opens it, no one can shut that door. They didn't even believe that God would answer. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so surprised at the answer that they weren't looking for. Isn't this a great opportunity for us to discover that? <sighs> Prayer. Wow. Popular modern-day teaching. Check it. Popular modern-day teaching is opposed to what we're talking about. Because popular modern day teaching will say, you know what? What you never got what you prayed for. Huh. Well you need to call this special number and speak to our prayer warriors. And they would they would deal with the matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like what well, you ain't getting what you what you desire. What and you're a king's kid. Wait a minute. Well, you know, you, you, you really can't be exercising real faith. Because if you really was a man or a woman of God, a real woman of faith and power, hey, you'd be moving mountains. What do you mean you can't move this little, tiny little, menial issue in your life? You need prayer. Come here, let me, let me, lay, my, let me, let me lay my anointed hands on you. Now, you know what I'm saying. It's not, I'm not even elaborating. It's much more colorful and much more flowery than that. A lie? And that flies in the face of this. Because it ain't about your powerful prayers. Not to say we ought not to pray earnestly. We ought to. But! There comes a time when you say, you know what? Okay, amen. I've prayed. Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. I leave it in your hands, Lord. I'm, a, I'm just going to tr- trust you now. Whatever the outcome, all I know is you're still on the throne. Amen? It cuts out all of that nonsense. Look at Job. Job's going through a difficult trial, and not even his enemies, his friends. I mean, like, oh, we know why this is going on still. We know why you're going through this struggle. We know why you lost your. Children, you lost your home and why you lost your business all at the same time. And now you're covered from head to toe in boils. You may not know, but we know you must be in sin, fam. It's got to be. And day after day after month after month, they keep on telling Job that this is the reason why you're facing what you're facing. And it was the furthest thing from the truth. We need to get a biblical perspective. And I thank the Lord that what? About 13 years ago, he opened my eyes to the fact that, you know what? If you're sick, it doesn't mean that you ain't saved. You know what I'm saying? If you're going through difficulty, even though you're, you've worn out your knees, they're sore by the fact that you've been pleading with God, petitioning with God over this issue, Because you ain't got an answer to that prayer. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. I heard my pastor say, and I got it on tape, because it was back in the day. I heard him say, I was sitting right where them guys were sitting, because I used to run the sound in the church that I was a part of back in them days. Sitting on the sound, I heard him say, some of you in this church are sick because you don't have faith. And there was a lady sitting there who had just had a stroke. She just had a stroke. Now if you say something like that. To someone who's not fully familiar with the Bible. Listen to what you could be saying. What? I'm sick because I ain't got faith. But I've been praying. I've been asking God to heal me. If I ain't got faith, wait a minute. If I ain't got faith to be healed, I wonder if I've got faith to be saved. I wonder if, if I, if, I wonder if God really has even heard my cry for salvation. You see how insidious. You see how destructive. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you know what, fam." There are individuals in the church who are teaching error and they need to be confronted. They need to be rebuked because they're teaching. It's not just deadly. It's not just dangerous. It's like cancer, he says. Like gangrene. This ain't something that you can treat. You have to cut it off. It's that dangerous. We have to be careful with these doctrines. These newfangled doctrines that ain't really new. They're doctrines that come from demonic spirits that have been around from time immemorial. It's just that we're new to what they're saying. Ain't nothing new under the sun. So may God help us to understand and appreciate his word so that we're not drawn in. We don't get sucked into that nonsense. As hard as this, this is hard. Because I'm saying today that you may not get the answer that you desire for your prayers. I may not get the desired outcome that I'm looking for in my own personal life. That's hard. But it it becomes more difficult if my vision is short sighted. If all I'm concerned with is finding a wife, if all I'm concerned with is my needs being met now in a physical sense. If, if that's all I'm concerned with, then I'm going to be desperately destroyed and distraught when my prayers ain't answered. And that's why so many people run in the direction of false teaching with itching ears, desire) heaping upon themselves teachers who will tell them the things they want to hear. But you've got to be resolute. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many that are on it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Can I encourage you to look beyond this life? I need to come to that. Prayer isn't me twisting God's arm to do what I want him to do. Really, prayer is an opportunity to join in and contribute to God actually fulfilling his plans. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. The believers congregated were probably exuberant Now, they were beside themselves like Rhoda. Can't believe it. Exuberant and and not fully appreciative of just how the Lord had supernaturally delivered Peter. I'd be like, how how did it happen? He then has to gesture in animated fashion because of the volume of excitement. So Peter explains the the miraculous events of the past few hours, then asks if someone would inform James. Now, this isn't James who got slain. This is James, the Lord's brother, could be um, understood as the Lord's cousin. It was one of the Lord's relatives. This is another James, possibly James the Less, who was also one of the disciples. We're not sure. He says, someone let James know what's going on. And James, incidentally, is also going to become a very prominent leader in this church in Jerusalem. And he says, also the other brothers, by way of encouragement, let them know what the Lord has done. And Peter quickly leaves. And he goes into temporary hiding. In a year or two, we will see Peter turn up in Antioch. And we see that in Galatians 2. Verse 18. Now when they came, I've got a hustle. When they came, there was no little disturbance, surprisingly, among the, among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. The able, well-trained soldiers that Peter had been shackled to have just woken up. And to their astonishment and horror, the prisoner has disappeared. How do you explain this? And the soldiers outside the cell had possibly even changed guard during the night. How and when did Peter escape? Not only would the off-duty guards want an explanation, but so does Herod, who had woken up to the expectation of an early trial and swift execution before lunch. Someone would have to pay for this, and according to Roman law, the lives of the soldiers was now to be substituted for the escaped prisoner, verse 19. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Herod decides to get away from it all. And travels to the coast to have a break by the sea. And he goes to Club Med to wind down and de-stress. All this blood on his hands. And... But then he ends up having drama with some people from Lebanon which is just a few miles up the coast, on the coast of the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. And he has had history with these Phoenicians who depended on him for their food. And they commissioned a trusted servant of the king to mediate on their behalf, right? Verse 20, now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, two major cities, um, in that area, actually, modern-day Lebanon. The cities are still there. Big up all the Lebanese. Yeah, easy for either. Um, they came to him at once. Sorry, they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now what with the people seeing the need to flatter him because he's their bread and butter. Verse 22, the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man, they said. Immediately an angel of the Lord, verse 23, struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Josephus the first century historian, who's not a Christian, also records and confirms this event in Caesarea. (sighs) Josephus, he adds to that which Luke records, and he says that Herod, at this particular point, was in Caesarea, and Herod was attired in a shiny silver suit That reflected the rays of the sun. Causing causing him to look resplendent. Causing him to look resplendent. Glittering, dazzling, magnificent. Josephus continued that the king, Herod. He didn't rebuke them when they flattered him. Nor did he reject their impious flattery. And because he didn't give honor to the Lord, because he didn't give glory to God, Luke says that he was invisibly smitten by an angel. He was infected by worms and eventually died. Josephus describes that Herod was taken ill with stomach cramps or a severe pain that arose in his belly, which became so violent that it was carried into his palace was bedridden until he died five days later. Check it. Verse 24. In the face of all of this, in the face of James being killed by the sword, Peter being incarcerated, the end of the chapter is so different from the beginning of the chapter, but the main issue, the main point, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. In and through all circumstances, however bleak, whichever way you want to look at it, whether you look at it from an unbeliever's point of view or you look at it from a Christian point of view, God's word triumphs. Some would say, what on earth is God doing? What on earth is God doing? Some would say. See to ask that question would be completely ignorant. Of God's purposes. How could God allow this to happen? For a person to get sick. Or even possibly like James. Die. These, are, these things are heartbreaking. They're harrowing and upsetting. Yet. Yeah. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. We have, Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we have an inheritance, undefiled and unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you, for me. See, that should begin to put things into perspective and into focus. We ought to set our mind where? Not be enamored with things down here. That's why you can't sleep at night. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God enthroned like what ruling and reigning set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth like cars and houses and relationships come on now now I'm up It's the third time I've said it because I I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm heartless. I'm not trying to minimize your circumstances, but I'm trying to amplify and magnify the bigger picture. Because if you can appreciate the bigger picture, then your circumstances, they become minimal. It says for you, Jesus says we ought not to lay up our treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, King James. But lay up our riches in heaven, where no thief can break in and steal. You see how the Bible's current. Everybody can relate to that, right? Our stuff's kept; it's reserved in heaven, like Peter just said. So don't set your heart on these things. Because as you get them, they vanish away. A lie? See, and, and even that exalted issue. Relationships. Our wife, I love my wife dearly. You know what I mean? But if I exalt my wife to an unfavorable place and position, it could be detrimental to me. I love her and I appreciate her. Oh my gosh. I can't function without her. My wife keeps me running like a Ferrari. You know what I mean. But I know there's gonna come a time, like the scripture says, that you know we would not be married forever. So I have, to say, I have to brace myself. and say, boy, I know no man ain't gonna get her when I'm like like now, like I'm down here. I know no one ain't gonna get her. She's mine, and no one ain't gonna get me neither. Right? But I know there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to be the one who has her affections ultimately, primarily. You know and I mean, so hey, why don't we just why don't we just get with that now? And you know I mean, just give the Lord my affection, and it's only when I do that that my wife gets the best of me, and vice versa. And can I encourage you if you're single? What can I, I can't even say I feel your pain. You know what I mean? Sorry, I can't say that. But for the record, for the record, sorry, I'm coming up to an hour now. For the record, I'm going to say it, and you ain't going to believe it, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're single, trust me. You see, you've got struggles. When you get married, you're going to have stru. They're just different struggles. What can I say? I've been single, and now I'm married. I feel like I, to some degree, you know what I'm saying? Can speak with authority? And, that's, and, it's, and it's not just me. That's general. I speak to anyone who's married. That don't mean you don't have good times, but you know what? You have some difficult times. And You might you be a mind sharp as a single person, feeling like marriage is the be-all and end-all. You end up getting married... We ain't got time to talk about the implications of that today. I'm just saying, you exalt something too highly thinking, this is it, and that's what I need? Come on now. You bought a car before, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking that this car, that's, I need it. You see, you're, dri- you, you're, you're already driving down the road in a car, but you see that car. <laughs> you're like... And you're like... You're like everything, all of my dreams and aspirations are wrapped up in me owning that car. I've bought, must be, in excess of seven or eight cars now. And every time I think that i found that car, I get that car, and then here comes that car. It's a, it's a stupid illustration, right? But we hanker after stuff and things, and Jesus is the water of life. He says, If you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And if you tasted, you know that the Lord is good, like that. And there's nothing that can satisfy, there's nothing that can fulfill like Him. So, may God help us to. To chase those things and pursue those things that are worth pursuing. And you know what? Hey, the Lord might bring along that wife. The Lord might bring along that husband. But you really only want it to be Him bringing them. Because if you go and make that happen. You know, the Bible, when it talks about um, the man who finds a wife, finds a good thing. You know what I'm saying? It's not talking about the person who goes about and manufactures those circumstances. It's not that. It's find like discover. You know what I'm saying now, it don't mean you can't look. You can look, but you find oh wow. You discover something. you didn't. Get your girl to speak to your girl and you get me. Or him to speak to her or her to speak to him and tell them how much you like them and blah, 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 blah. And you try and make that happen. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. From time to time, it's okay. But you know what I'm saying. Trying to manufacture that. Trying to make that happen. Sorry. I've gone so long, I know I've lost you now, right? You lot are just um, being kind to me. i not looking at your watches. Where was I? About to wrap up. Set your mind on things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. And let me tell you. As much as I don't fully understand it. I know that when that time comes. It will eclipse. Anything that we've experienced down here. That we We'll get excited about. And it's really just down to God giving us and granting us understanding, giving us wisdom. The entrance of his word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple. We're simple people when we act like the world in that sense. May God help us to be wise. First Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We was at a funeral yesterday, day before yesterday. Brother Michael's funeral, man. If you don't know, and for the the tape, CD, MP3, internet, whatever, Brother Michael was a member of our congregation. And he died recently. And we were at his funeral. And I was going to speak at the funeral. And man, I was like, Lord. Huh. Not just because I'm a pastor. And I'm a teacher of God's word. Not just because it's brother Mike's funeral. And you know how brother Mike get down, right? Not just because sister Angela is like, These people may never get an opportunity to hear the gospel, preach the gospel. I'd be like, I was like, you know, in funerals, it's hard to speak about these things. Listen, from I got the green light like that, I was like, right, that's it, Lord. And one of the things Sister Angela says, she wanted it to be completely unorthodox, not just like a regular kind of... so yeah, I thought I use overheads when I teach because they help me and hopefully they help you I thought, sure, I don't business funeral or no funeral, I'm a draw for my overheads, listen, I've got this message together sake of um, some I don't know what happened but we were like 40 minutes late I had 5 minutes, I never even had 5 minutes, I had about 2 minutes, I took 5 minutes I think you know what I mean And I thought, Lord, I thought, no, Lord. I couldn't even preach the message that I wanted to because we had to get to the crematorium. But what I wanted to communicate, what I wanted to talk about was, I wanted to talk about heaven. I wanted to talk about that which is on the other side of this experience. I wanted to talk about what people were getting ready, not immediately, but ultimately getting ready to transition into. That's what I wanted to talk about. I never got a chance to t- <laughs> I, w- I wanted to compare heaven. I wanted to compare all that God has prepared. All that God exists in. I wanted to compare that to this. And communicate the fact that, you know what? This life compared to where God exists. That multi-dimensional environment this life came out of that one that means this cannot be anything like that one in kind in nature it'd be like they got some new film out caught up hey no matter how ingratiated no matter how involved you get in the film and how exciting it is and caught up in oh i forgot that was in the cinema for an hour and a half there oh let's let's go home no matter how caught up you get, you know, it's a cartoon. It ain't real. Buzz Lightyear ain't real. See, I've got a job for them old ones. That's what my kids used to watch back in the day. I don't know no, 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 the new ones. Them things ain't real. That a cartoon comes out of this reality. You compare this to a cartoon. Is there any comparison? i would be like, how on earth... Can we be overwhelmed and overcome with the cartoon not understanding what we are about to experience? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of Steven Spielberg, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And I'm saying Lord, help us. Because if if, if we get to the point where we're more enamored with the cartoon, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be defeated. You're constantly going to be in that place where you're frustrated. But when you begin to set your mind on things above, you, your life, your complete life will change. My life will change. If I get it, if I grasp that. I wanted to tell the people at the funeral you know what? Brother Michael is not sitting on a cloud playing a harp. (laughs) Heaven is more real than this world because one came out of the other. I got more, but I'm really going to have to stop now. Who says so? Yeah, you said so? <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> Where's Pastor Patrick? Pastor Patrick ain't here today. <laughs> um, he's absent in body, but he's present in spirit. So I'm gonna wrap up now by going to this final slide. See? You see how the chapter started? It starts off one way, but it ends in another. Ultimately with the Word of God triumphant. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, came back to Antioch when they had completed their service, bringing with them this time John, whose other name was Mark. They take John Mark with them and they're gonna have drama with John Mark. We'll see that in the chapters to come. This chapter completes the Acts of Peter in a direct sense. He's going to still keep functioning. But we're going to now begin to focus more on the ministry of Saul, who's going to become Paul, and his amazing acts. Or should we say, the continued acts of the Lord Jesus by the power of his Spirit through the apostles. Amen? Amen. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you that you're great and illustrious. Wow. And we get opportunity to share in your life. Huh. Father, the scripture says that we're going to be able to come and sit on your throne. That we are inheritors of everything that you have. It's amazing. And Lord, on that basis, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to get enamored with the stuff that's down here. Father, I pray that you'd help us even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of illness, in the face of death. Right now, Lord, in our congregation, there are those who are bereaved, Lord, because they've lost loved ones. Thank you, Father, that you, you're the God of all comfort. And thank you, Lord, that precious in your sight is the death of your saints. James got one verse, Father, but hmm, I can just imagine a fanfare when he stepped into the third heaven. Because they took off his head, but they, they could not kill the man's soul. And that's what you say to us. Don't worry about them that can destroy the body. Worry about me. Who can destroy body and soul. In hell. Father there's so much more to this life than this life. And as your people. That's what you want us to get. That's what you want us to grasp. Because Lord if. Lord we're undefeatable. Yet we would be so undefeatable. If we were to set our mind on things above Lord I pray that you would communicate all that I lack to communicate Lord and was unable to communicate Lord speak between the lines I pray and encourage us Lord as your people not to look back in regret because we didn't set our mind on things above Help us, Lord, I pray, this week to allow this to frame our thinking. Allow this to influence our prayers. And Father, allow your your spirit to continue to mature us in order that, Lord, you can just fulfill your purpose and we can be a part of that without suffering pain and anxiety and depression because we're on the same page as you. Father, help us out for you. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake.